0: Thank you for tuning in to Far Better, where we look to be pleasing to God in this life so our eternity is far better. I'm your host, Michael Clark, and with me today is Devin Dean from the Antioch Church of Christ in Corner, Alabama. Devin, it's good to have you on the program.
1: Good to be here, Michael.
0: We're really thankful and appreciative for all of our guest hosts this time around with our summer season and with season two that's going to be having an entire season of guest hosts with Josh Cantrell. And, Devin, we are thankful to be able to talk today about a subject that Isn't happy to be talked about, but needs to be discussed. And that's a Christian life is far better than a sorrowful life. That is absolutely true, Michael. And there are so many people in the world that live in sorrow their whole lives, and they wouldn't if they just had the Lord.
1: That's true. And some of it's hidden sorrow, even. That's the worst part.
0: Right. And I think about, you know, you mentioned that hidden sorrow, something that we can talk about definitely later on in this episode or even in episode two. You look at these actors and actresses in Hollywood, and these musicians and people that are famous. That you know, they take their own lives, and you sit there and think, "Why in the world did that happen?" Because you know what? But then you realize they were depressed, they were sorrowful, they they didn't have as good a life as they portrayed it to be because their life wasn't in Christ. Therefore, they couldn't have the best quality of life. They have something I
1: think we'll discuss that in a little while called artificial happiness. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. So do you think then, as we talk about this sorrowful life, do you think the world is generally happy or sad? Uh,
1: The world in general is sad. We mentioned it a while ago. I I think quite often we don't know we're sad. We don't know the sorrow is there in the world. Uh, Men try to avoid this question in general. And the the world likes to think it's happy. But but look at what men are constantly doing. You you started to mention those in Hollywood and so forth. Uh, We're working to get to some level whether it be a title we want, or the amount of money we want to make, or the possessions we want to have, that house, the car, whatever, the location we want to live. But in the general case, we're not happy when we get there. We want something more. And that always seems to be happy. And and you use the case, and you think about that artificial happiness. Artificial happiness. Men try to create it by, say, the use of alcohol, or of drugs or, or other substances like that, and they try to produce an artificial happiness. But as soon as that physical or chemical stimulation ceases, you're back into that sadness, that sorrow, that I don't know where I'm going. And it leads, like you said, sometimes men can go as far as killing themselves. We can look at some of that when we think of some Bible characters later. But right but as soon as that's gone and and because of the artificial nature that it takes on whether even if it's not say the alcohol and drugs maybe it's money and being able to spend it i have to have more of it the next right. time i need more money i need more alcohol i need more drugs caught in a vicious loop and it leaves you feeling lower every time they do it and so on another level even though we we see the world as a general sad place the men willing to kill themselves as we mentioned rather than face the world can they be happy right there's a lack of happiness there Uh, men who don't want to have to face death and will fight death with every fiber i know you've probably seen it throughout our lives you see those who will take their lives but then you see those who will fight death when it's approaching with every fiber in their body waiting right. for that day. Uh, men and women who try to find happiness in their own lives, but then create a life and are willing to kill that life. Uh, why? Mm-hmm. They don't have the happiness. That, that lack of true happiness and that child, surely not going to bring the happiness that they want. And so we see the kind of things that happen. But unfortunately, and I think people don't understand this, sorrow is part of life. Uh, while men do not realize it, trying to hide it behind the gains they make, whether money or whatever, or make artificial happiness, the sorrow is eating them up. And and I think that's what we see in the world a whole lot today.
0: One of the things that is interesting, you said that sorrow eats up life. It's a part of life. Solomon felt that way. For in much wisdom, Ecclesiastes one eighteen is much grief. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And what Solomon's essentially saying there is, When I look at the world, the more I get in wisdom, the more things I see and find that this world has to offer that aren't pleasant. And I remember a time when I was a little boy that I didn't know what mom and dad had to deal with financially. And that, you know, I didn't know about bills. I didn't know about all those things. And boy, when I became an adult and I got that first bill, I thought, wait, what? You mean I have to pay for this? I didn't realize I had to pay for anything because I never grew up having to pay for anything. That's right.
1: I, I think we have a lot of kids that are that way in the world today. And and the other thing it creates, even beyond that, not the idea of not paying the bills, but I want what mom and dad have now right. for me today. Right. Well, how long did it take mom and dad to get where mom and dad are? Right. And so we see that lack of happiness, that right. kind of thing.
0: You take it from the perspective of, that exact thought of I've got to have what my mom and dad have, and so you you buy a big house, you buy all these fancy cars, and then you sit there a couple of years later and you're you're financially unstable and you're struggling and you sit there and think, but I thought this would make me happy. you pointed that out with the money. I thought that this amount of money would be good, but no, now I need this much money, but you t- you mentioned drugs and alcohol and addiction, and I, I think pornography is like this too it's obviously an addiction, and you know it's one of those things where eventually. What once worked, like you mentioned with drugs and alcohol, doesn't work anymore. That's and it, right.
1: And, and pornography actually is basically a drug. It, it's yeah. it's not a chemical we put into our body in that manner, but it is a drug because of what it causes our brain to produce chemically. Right. Which creates those feelings of taking a drug. Right. And it takes you know you hate to say it like any other chemical stimulation, it's going to take more the next time. What worked day one's not going to work day five not going to work day 15 and you see people who are trapped in that because of that and and unfortunately many people don't think about it
0: it's such a hard life to look at the perspective of solomon and to think that 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 individual in the bible went through all of that he went through and every time he said my life is meaningless I just thought if I could do this, if I could do that, my life is meaningless. And, you know, he's not the only Bible character that felt that way, the only Bible character that experienced sorrow. But Solomon is what we're talking about is the world generally happy or sad. Solomon found out that trying to find happiness in the world will make you sad, not happy. And there are things that I love about this life. I I love going to see a good movie. I love going and playing a putt-putt, you know, and doing things like that. And they're a part of this world. But it's not where I find my true happiness.
1: No, because this world as we could point out later, is temporary. Right. And anything that's temporary is not going to last long. That's the reason the alcohol, the drugs, the pornography, the money, the you, you take your pick of all those things we could mention, that's the reason all of them only work and are artificial because they're only going to work for a certain period of time, and then it's got to go somewhere else.
0: That's right. What is so different about the way that Christians are supposed to handle sorrow versus the way the world might handle sorrow.
1: Well, it really goes back to what we just mentioned, this, this idea of the temporary nature of the earth. Uh, there's sorrow. There's no way to avoid that in life. Uh, it's part of being human. At the same time, the Christian looks and has greater joy in looking to an eternal world to come. Um uh, we mentioned a house earlier. You know, I, I got to have this size house. Well, if I can get a five-figure salary, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, but, but how much happier would I be if I get a six-figure salary? Right. If I could have a 2,000-square-foot house, I'll be happy. But how, how much happier would I be if I get a 5,000-square-foot house? Those kind of questions. The world's all about those temporary pieces. For each of us on a personal level, though, one day we're going to face this idea of death it's going to come. How does one come to be happy in facing death? The biggest sorrow we can put out there. Let, let's, let's go to it. Well, by knowing what is to come, there's something better. Philippians 1, uh, 21 through 23, they tell us, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that's something totally foreign to mm-hmm. the world, this idea death can be a gain. Right. I can get something better. But look how Paul goes on in verses 22 and 23 when he says, but if I live on in the flesh this will mean fruit from my labor yet what i shall choose i cannot tell for i am hard pressed between the two having a desire to depart and be with christ which is
0: far better better. yeah
1: it's far better and and unfortunately most men in the world don't understand it but the christian should be sitting there looking saying there's something better we've mentioned solomon already and solomon We say we ought to learn from others mistakes Uh, we need to learn from solomon solomon went out he said i have all the money that god gave me i have all the wisdom that god gave me you know what i'm gonna go prove everything and and like you mentioned already everything he proved ended up pointing that it's not worth it prove this it's not worth it Prove that it's not worth it what is life and his, his great conclusion what is life all of life is vanity
0: without god. Right. And I think that's a key piece right there. That's absolutely right. You know, our world tells our children tells our people that they have to have these things to be happy. And in fact, one of the things I've noticed in the last few years that has been a real attack on our young ladies is you have to look this way to be pleasing in our society. And what we do is we make people sorrowful when they find out well, I don't fit the mold. And so here's kind of what you have to to choose between. Do I follow what I'm being told and go do it and have to try to mold myself to look that way or have to buy these things to keep up with society? It's this rat race that I'm never running. I'm always running. I'm never going to get the finish line. Or do I sit there and say, you know what? I'll just be weird, and I'll be okay with that. And when the Christian handles sorrow, it can be a multitude of different things. There are things that make me sorrowful that aren't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things, but I wish I could do certain things that I'm not able to do. And so... I have to find my value in Christ. And Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 11, whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content.
1: Absolutely. And so if
0: I have a $5,000, you know, car versus a $50,000 car, I've got a car. If I live in a 5,000-square-foot house versus a 2,000-square-foot house, I've got a house. And I don't don't always sit there and say, okay, but now I want a 6,000. Now I want a 7,000. That's the problem we face because what Solomon realized, if we could get everyone in the world to realize... Having more of nothing is still nothing. nothing.
1: Absolutely. And, and I think you mentioned it talking about the young ladies. And I think it's done a great injustice to our young people as a whole, both both uh, girls and boys. But But think about the contradiction in this. All of us grow up wanting to be unique. And yet when we become teenagers, the moment when we ought to be getting our uniqueness, we all want to be just alike. Right. And if we're just alike... And that world is worth nothing. Then we're worth nothing. Nothing, and that's the picture we see, and that's what creates the greatest amount of sorrow. I think, I think our young people figure it out over the teenage years, and they don't know how to express it. Mm-hmm. And it's getting through that period of time that is so rough on us. And I think that's where Solomon comes in. The, you know, we've been looking at him. We mentioned Paul from Philippians, and he has some great stuff there that picture of getting through this time when everything looks like I want to be the same as everyone but I've got to be unique how how do you take that contradiction and balance it right the Christian because of how they know how to handle sorrow what they have to look forward to Mm -hmm. is able to get through it
0: that's one of the things to think about definitely is I have a mansion waiting for me in the next life I don't need to try to focus on making sure i have multiple in this now i don't think it's sinful to have a nice fancy house if if god blesses you with a good amount of money he's put money in your account to manage therefore you must manage it as a good steward be generous as best as you can so i don't think it's sinful to have those things but when my value of life is found in those things it's just like solomon and i don't take them with me you know i, I die That house goes to someone else. I die, my money goes to other people. My clothes, everything goes to something else.
1: Absolutely, because in the grand scheme of things, it all came from nothing. And everything that we can see, touch, feel, smell on this world is going right back where it came from. So that dollar bill that we may think is so important because it can buy that house that is so important or give us that, that car we just have to have or, you know, whatever it is, Every one of those items is already worth nothing because that's exactly where they're going back to. Right. And, and unfortunately, in, until a person understands that, and even if some Christians have trouble understanding this, and it takes us time to gain that strength, to reach out there and understand there's something better. It's worth more. You know, we can do some math as we go along. How long is eternity? And you, you start to get that picture. How much is it worth then? an infinite mm-hmm. amount is always worth an infinite amount right. you can't put a you know you see the commercials for some of these credit cards on tv right. it's priceless
0: <laughs> are we treating it that way right Jesus' death was so beneficial to us because it took us from a world of no hope and put us into a world where everyone had hope if they just simply followed the plan but I guess that brings us to this question because we mentioned that sorrow is a way of life. There's no way to escape it. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed point that a man wants to die, so everyone's going to die. If the Lord lingers another 2,000 years, you and I are going to die, and we're going to be buried. We're going to go on to the next place in eternity, and so our family members are going to be sorrowful when that happens. Our loved ones will experience sorrow, so is it wrong to experience and be sorrowful? Absolutely not. Um, you think about our Lord
1: and Savior Jesus for the moment. Uh, if anybody was going to show us it was wrong to be sorrowful, it would be him. Yet you can turn to the book of John. You read chapter 11 and you come across Jesus who's who's getting ready to go visit two women who have lost a brother. They were some of his closest friends on earth when we think about that jesus was a man like us he had everything we have he had people that were extremely close this man named lazarus i don't know if it would have been his as the young people use today his bff right quite possible i i don't know that for sure but he was one of his closest friends and in fact you get to the 35th verse of john 11 and and it's one that everybody knows from heart even if they don't recognize the reference right jesus jesus wept wept. yeah he wept over a friend who had died he came to comfort that friend's two sisters these two women who are suffering and and have sorrow over the loss of their brother Mm -hmm. he came to comfort them sorrow has to be there's nothing wrong with it now if we let sorrow take over that can be an issue but this idea of grief and sorrow they're there, uh, you look at Luke 22, Luke 22 and verse 44, we see another way in which Jesus experienced sorrow in the possibility of death. He is in the garden that night before he's betrayed praying. And he gets down to the point of saying in being in agony, he prayed more earnestly Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We can go to other passages. We know his prayer was simple. Let this cup pass from me. Mm -hmm. We look at Jesus and and quite often, and we need to as men say that Jesus is God, and that's where we need to concentrate. But Jesus was just as much a man as you or I. And just as we don't want to die, he did not want to die.
0: That's what we see
1: in that prayer, and you Mm -hmm. see how intense it became. Sorrow's not wrong. right? It's how we handle that sorrow, not understanding where it can take us, that is really where it gets to be wrong.
0: I loved how you said, we don't allow the sorrow to consume and control us. You reminded me of David. When David had sinned with Bathsheba and their child died as a result of what they had done, David the entire time is praying and fasting and doing all of these things, wanting his child to get better, but when the child died, David gets up, he goes and he washes and anoints himself, he changes his clothes in Second Samuel 12, he goes into the house of the Lord and he worships. And he went to his own house and he, he had food set before him and he ate. And all the servants are saying, wait a minute, what do you mean? Your, your child just died. Why are you doing this? And yeah, they, David's response is so profound.
1: Yeah, I, I can't, he's not going to come back to me. Yeah. I can go to him right. now. And, and there's the key to how the Christian lives life knowing there's something beyond this point and, and it, it, it's a beautiful thought think about what David was doing and we talk about the sorrow that we can fill in this world when we have a loved one that's that's either because of age approaching death or a, as I went through my, my father died of cancer and you, you sit there and watch this man who you know who could walk down a hallway and you would be frightful if you saw him in the shadows just because of his right. size and bulk. And all of a sudden one day be eat up by this disease. Right. You go through a sorrow that's there. But what do you do with that sorrow is the real key. And that's what David showed us. David was intense Mm -hmm. when that child was alive. As long as there was a chance, he was going to pray for it and ask for it. But once the child had departed, David trusted his God. Mm -hmm. I can't bring the child back to me,
0: but I can go see him if I follow God. And what if he had not allowed that to be his mentality and sorrow consumed him? The very next verse says that he goes and comforts Bathsheba, and who's born? Solomon, Solomon. One of the people that we're talking about today. David goes in and comforts Bathsheba, who is sorrowful as well. And Solomon, one of the best people in the Bible on wisdom that we've ever been given, is a result of David saying, I'm not allowing sorrow to, contr- to control and consume me. I'm going to comfort my wife. And Solomon is born. Had David allowed grief and sorrow to consume him, then there's an indication Solomon wouldn't have been born had Wait. David not put that trust in his God.
1: And you think about the even the greater aspects of that. In number of the genealogies, we can go back and look at the great men that were produced because of the passing of a wife or another or... A father or a mother uh, the case of Solomon here the passing of a child that produces uh, really a new child that's so important because think if there were no Solomon there would have been no Jesus right and we see that in a number of cases in Jesus's lineage Uh, I I think another point to the sorrow that's in the lineage thinking about it for a moment think about some of the the women who are mentioned in his lineage specifically and we think about if sin produces sorrow to God and it does why is Rahab why is Bathsheba why is Tamar why why are they in the lineage of our Savior Mm -hmm. God's showing sorrow but I have a solution right sorrow but I have a solution that's the, the key the Christian needs to look at
0: now what do we think about as we talked about it's not wrong to be sorrowful And we've talked about that it's wrong to allow that sorrow to turn into sin and to turn into something that keeps me from being the person who trusts in God. But who in the Bible, we've talked about a few of them, but who in the Bible, in addition to these, would you say has experienced sorrow?
1: Well, you look at it, I'd go all the way back to the beginning to start with. Think about Adam and Eve and the the experience of sorrow, sorrow at their own sin. How, How much sorrow do you think there was the morning that Adam woke up outside the garden? Oh, yeah found out, I gotta go out and till the ground. Uh, think about the sorrow that comes a few years later. The two of them have these two sons, Cain and Abel. And and Cain, because of sorrow, you, you think that here's another case of sorrow. His His offering isn't accepted by God, and God says, Cain, correct it. But Cain, in his sorrow, doesn't fix it. What does he do? I'm gonna remove the competition, kills his own brother think of the sorrow Adam and Eve who were both still alive have knowing that one son has killed another son yeah. and the sorrow that produced there the sorrow produced in Cain and we see the difference in each one though uh, we could use it as another example Adam and Eve in that sorrow comforted each other eventually and out came Seth right. one of the progenitors of Jesus at the same time what was Cain's response Right. it, it didn't correct his sin. he went out and got deeper in sin. Uh, you you think further down through the scriptures, you come to Abraham, who experienced sorrow at the loss of his wife, Genesis 23, 2. You know, so Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. But you go on to read, he married another woman and he went on with his life. Now, it didn't mean he didn't have grief. It didn't mean right. he didn't have the sorrow, but he didn't let it consume him but then you go to the new testament and we can get a picture of it in two men uh, sorrow in judas and sorrow in peter right judas who betrayed jesus brought the soldiers to the garden that night gave him the kiss we all know that sorrow ate him up and he went out and hanged himself yeah he, he couldn't handle the sorrow. Peter at the same time denies Jesus 3 times yet in just a very short period what is Jesus telling him Peter do you love me feed my sheep right 3 times right we we see how do you handle the sorrow it led one to death and one to life right What's it going to do for us? That's the real question it comes
0: to. You know, the thing that you mentioned with Adam and Eve that I've often wondered is, I wonder if they ever sat around the proverbial dinner table and said, don't you wish we hadn't done that? Don't you wish we didn't do this? Because when when I make a decision that directly affects my family, like if I do something and it hurts my son's ability to do anything, that hurts me. I can't imagine the burden and the sorrow they felt for knowing we are the reason— We're the exact reason that my son killed the other son because we brought sin and death into the world by doing what we did. And don't you wish we hadn't done that? And then you think about, like you mentioned, those in the New Testament, Judas and Peter, who felt great sorrow and the reaction of both of them and how that works. But I thought of one, as you were speaking, that, you know, God... God must feel great sorrow for what his creation has done and great sorrow for those who are not going to make it to heaven because he wants all to make it. According to 2 Peter 3, 9, he doesn't want anybody to perish, and it made God very sad in Genesis 6 when he looked down on the world and what he had called good is now completely wicked, save Noah and his, maybe not even his family. Because it just tells me that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord I don't even know whether his family was as righteous as Noah was But God looks down on this creation that he made and goes It's not what I thought it was going to be In the sense that when I created it It's no longer what I thought when I created it And when we use that word repent there It doesn't mean God sinned As we usually put repentance with sin But God's mindset changed on the way he viewed man And God has felt great sorrow and God
1: has you think about that you go forward in time from there God having seen that God knew all this beforehand he 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 is God and he still created man knowing what man was going to do and, and you see God laying forth different pieces but think about the sorrow we, we asked was sorrow wrong right. and we use some examples we didn't use the greatest example yet on that day that Jesus was taken and those nails were driven through his wrist and through his feet and he was hanging on that cross for a period of three hours. The sun didn't shine. And we see those words, you know, why have you forsaken me? It's almost like God turned his face away. Can you think of the sorrow? Uh, We read about the veil of the temple being rent. God had sorrow. Why did the earthquake God had sorrow. That's right. Here's here's the father looking down and going, "It had to happen. Don't have to like it, right?" And you think about the restraint he showed, even in his sorrow, though, at that moment. Yeah. But the sorrow that he had, and we see it given in that physical creation of the universe. We see the expression of it, and I I think men ignore that 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 God, the Father in heaven, and all powerful in the universe. Feels, like we do right it's ins-
0: it- I mean that just is very mind boggling to think that in the midst of all we did do that caused God great sorrow his love outweighed his sorrow because his sorrow could have driven him to say okay this was a failed project I'm going to scrap it I'm going to destroy the whole world and I'm just going to chalk it up to it just didn't succeed
1: uh, and you think of the number of times he did that Yeah, Adam and Eve we started with them the moment that Eve took that first bite and then handed it to Adam, who gave no right. no kind of repercussion to it, just took the bite. Right. He could have said, well, that didn't work yep. and ended it all. Uh, when you got to Cain and Abel, well, mm-hmm. here's more proof. He could have ended it. When you got to Noah, he, he could have looked down on the world, and, yes, Noah could have found grace, and he could have given Noah a reward and still ended everything right then because he could have said, it's just not working. Right. And, and you look through history, Abraham, who— who even in himself, with all of his righteousness and upheld as that great righteous man, at least twice lied to right. the point that God had to send him a little reminder. And when you get to his nephew Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah, and you, it, it's just amazing to step through the Bible and you start to see all these pictures. And we haven't even gotten to the New Testament yet when you right. get that far and you're already seeing all the sorrow and these times that God could have just said, It's enough. Mm -hmm. The project didn't work. You get to the New Testament, and you think about the power of uh, Jesus being God himself. When that mob came that night, he was betrayed. And they say, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. He could have ended it right then. I don't want to go through this. Boom, you're all gone. But instead, what did he do? Right. And and we we often hear people saying, we say it because men did nail him to the cross. But but truthfully, man didn't nail him to the cross. He allowed man to nail yeah. him to the cross. the The power was there all along for him to end it at any moment. And you think about that great patience and love, mercy that God showed his creation in that sorrow he's feeling that day.
0: Yeah, we're talking about sorrow this episode and the next one. And... Our lives are far better when we don't have sorrowful lives. Now, that doesn't mean, like we've talked about in this episode, that we never experience sorrow. Everyone will experience sorrow. But like David, and even like God, we choose to not allow the sorrow to overtake us, and we put our faith in the Lord. God doesn't put faith in himself the way we would put faith in in God, but God didn't allow the sorrow to beat him and what he had created, and we don't need to allow the sorrow that we face to destroy us and what he has given us in this life and the things that are difficult. And so as we look to the next episode to deal with some sorrowful questions a little bit further, I hope before we get to that that you and I will resolve to please God now so that our eternity is far better.